Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning we're going to look in our Bibles today at Joshua chapter 3, and we will begin our reading in verse 1. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I will say this quickly. Uh, we're going to be getting back on schedule. We have so many people that are out. One of the things that is just a reality, if you have a fairly young church, and uh, you just take that and, and just own it and feel it, uh, but if you have a fairly young church, they travel a lot. And this time of year, a lot of our folks are out and about. And, and then we have quite a few that are sick, so uh, be praying for them. But I appreciate so much you being here. This first day of 2023, we're going to read a passage of Scripture about the crossing of the Jordan River. This is the next generation the fathers and mothers of these who are mentioned in this passage, they have died. They were di died and buried in the wilderness. Forty years later, there's another group, their descendants are about to cross the Jordan River. Let's read together from Joshua 3, and we'll read through verse 17. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shatim and came to the Jordan. That's about a 10-mile journey they made, pretty easy traveling, and they lodged there before they crossed. How long? Well, at the end of three days. So they have camped beside the Jordan for three days. It says, the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about a thousand yards, 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And you shall moreover or in addition command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. 
And then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will assuredly dispose or dispossess from before you the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Hivite and the Perizzite and the Gergashite and the Amorite and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, each man for each tribe, or one man for each tribe, and it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan, will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks." All the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city which is beside Zarathan. That's about 19 miles up the river. And those which were flowing down toward the Sea of Arba, the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. One of the most misunderstood concepts that I think we have about Scripture, and I'm going to try to not be picky about it. I have been, but I'm trying to do better with some of that. But is the idea that crossing Jordan and Scripture is symbolic of us dying and leaving this world? I can tell you that idea came about because sometimes life imitates art. Have you heard that? You studied that in school, most likely. We didn't know what Jesus looked like, you know, for a long time until the artist drew him, and now, now we know. We didn't know he had a halo. Artists gave him one. How cool was that? So now he's got all of it. We didn't know what angels looked like, but we do now because artists drew them. And it's same, the same way a little bit with the, when it comes to crossing the Jordan River. When you have hymns like, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Songs like that that indicate or suggest that when we die, we cross Jordan. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I can tell you without getting too deep into the thicket of all of that, uh, it, it is, it's a poor concept, and it's not what crossing Jordan is all about. 
If going into heaven is crossing Jordan, boy, the rest of this story is not going to make any sense. They're crossing right there at the city of Jericho. And I'm certain that the people of Jericho, knowing where the ancient city was located, they were watching all two million of them come across that river. And they knew that they would have to deal with them as well as they would have to fight the Gergashites and Hivites and Hittites and all of the others. So what does crossing Jordan mean for us? What is the lesson for you and I? Well, crossing Jordan is like a breakthrough. It's like a deliverance or a path to freedom. Because these people had been in the wilderness where there were very few resources, very little communication with God. They are about to finally go to the place where God had promised them. As a matter of fact, He wanted their mothers and fathers to go there. They decided it was too dangerous and they wouldn't go. God became angry and He said, go back into the wilderness and die. And if you read Deuteronomy, Moses says, well, after they saw they had made God angry, they decided to go anyway. Moses said, don't go, you'll be killed. And certainly those who did try to go, the Amorites ran them back across the Jordan, back into the wilderness. And 40 years later, Other than the families of Joshua and Caleb, they are all dead and buried. But God wants this generation to go. He says, I can bless you there if you're willing to do it. And it's harvest time. We caught that in here. Boy, that's a big deal. If you see pictures of the Jordan River, you rarely ever see any of them when it's harvest time. And the Jordan River doesn't look like a very big deal. It's about, honestly, the size of Green River. Uh, that's about what this, it normally is. But then in the rainy season, I can tell you the floods come off of the mountainsides, and you and I are not real familiar with this kind of topography, but we do have some of it here and, and in other places. But boy, the rains descend off of the mountains, and it all washes down into the river. And what is uh, barely more than a creek part of the time can be as much as a mile wide. And it's at this kind of time that God says, now is when I want you to cross. I want you to go to a place you've never been. And there's some things you're going to have to do if you do it. You're going to have to listen to what I say. You can't get around this. You either die in the wilderness or you cross the river. You I'm done with you casting up wishful eyes, standing on those stormy banks. It's time to put your feet in the water and get moving. It's time that your faith quit just being some passive feeling and that it becomes an active force in your life. It has been said well that faith is not just believing in spite of the evidence, but it's being obedient in spite of the consequences. Saying if God says go, and He says go now, Then we go, and we go now. And we let God work out all of the details. Now that's easy to say, but sometimes it can be very difficult to do. They're leaving the graves of their loved ones behind. They're leaving the place behind where they had been for 40 years. And they're about to go somewhere new. A place where God can bless them like never before. 
So I don't know of a better day to preach on this than the first day of 2023. This could be a great day for some of us. It could be a great day for all of us because I'm sure we all have some Jordans in our life, some things that restrict us. It might be sin. It could be a secret sin, a, 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 some kind of, 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 of addiction like pornography or drugs or alcohol. It could be something like that. It could be an attitude. It could be ill will. It could be just a, a, a spirit of selfishness or whatever it might be. Uh, you, you've stared at it long enough. It, is, it has wrecked your life for years. It has been a burden for you. You know it's kept you from being what God would have you be. And let today be the day you finally decide, God, I'm crossing this thing. This will no longer be a barrier between me and where you want me to be. Well, I hope I can encourage you. Because it's not easy. It's not easy. But there are three things that God says you can't cross without. And I hope you can remember these. First of all, God says you cannot cross without facing danger. There's some danger involved, and there's two reasons for it. One, this whole proposal is scary. He said in verse 3, set out from your place. Leave where you have been for 40 years years. It's tough to get us to move once we've gotten used to where we like living. As a matter of fact, if you remember the fathers and mothers of these who are about to cross now, they complained to God about, hey, we'd like to go back to Egypt. I mean, we were there for 430 years and Man, we ate at the flesh pots, and, and they had cucumbers and melons and huge onions and all of that, and, and boy, it was some good eating, and, and the flesh pots were full and, and all of that, and they had, I guess you'd call it selective amnesia. They forgot the fact of the taskmasters putting the whip to their back and the fact that they were alienated from God and the fact that God never spoke to them for 430 years while they were in Egypt until they had left. But it's easy sometimes when you're where you should not be. You know it. You're not in the will of God. You're not where you need to be. There are things in your life that are sapping away the strength that God wants to give you, and it's impeding your relationship with Him. But sometimes that's a scary proposal to do things like you've never done in your entire life. Secondly, the pathway is strange. Another reason that, that, that you can't cross this without uh, facing some danger. He said in verse 4, for you've not passed this way before. You know, there's an old saying I'm sure you've heard. A lot of you have, I know, because I've said it. The last seven words of a dying church, you know what they are? We never did it that way before. Buddy, when churches start saying that, you can hear the death gargle down in there, man. That old heart is getting weak. The, the church hospice nurse is just uh, really trying to find a heartbeat. That's a church that is well on its way to dying, to becoming insignificant and useless in the kingdom of God. Because God doesn't always do things the same way. 
God does things sometimes that it may not have been according to our plans. It might be new to us. It might not fit our culture. Uh, it might not have been something our church has ever tried before. But when our focus gets really narrow and we get a church kind of worked into shape to where we like it sort of like it is. I, I've known people, this blows my mind, but I have known church members who said things like, you know, we don't really need a lot more people. We we kind of, you know, we 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 kind of got about forty, and 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 we all know each other, and 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 you know, it's just it, it's just the coolest place. And what if God wants to grow that place? So it's not your church; it belongs to God. And if God wants to do something that your church has never done before, then you just need to giddy up and follow God and do whatever God leads you to do. I think sometimes it's fear. I understand that. But I think a lot of times, honestly, it is self-righteous pride. A young preacher or an old preacher may come into town and he starts preaching about how that we can do this and go there and casting vision and all of that. And I think sometimes church people, it is almost as if they feel like you bloodied our nose a little bit. You're acting like we didn't know what we were doing until you got here. And then sometimes those churches have to clear it up for that pastor that, hey, we only want you to drive the bus. We already know where we want to go. We know how big we want to be. We know how much money we want to spend. And so basically, if you'll just care us where we already want to go, everything will work out fine. Well, I can tell you, the fireworks are about to hit because either he will become like them or maybe they will become like him. Usually, it's the first if he stays shackled to the familiar. Man, feel disrespected. He wasn't here when this church started. Why, my grandpa, he cut the lumber to build this building with down there at his sawmill. And the next thing you know, we're all crying and and oh, Lord, have mercy. And, and that old tree out front, boy, she's big now, yeah, and dead and dropping limbs on cars. But somebody's great-great-uncle planted that stupid thing, and we can't cut it down. Those are ridiculous things. Don't get used to living in the wilderness. Go where God wants you to go. Go where He would have you go. Oh, It'd be easy to look at this whole situation. I can hear us now. Well, you know, we've done an intensive study on this prior, and the river is at its flood stage right now. And, and we want to do it, but we just don't feel like the timing is right. Or we don't feel like the leadership is quite prepared. They just heard about the plan from Joshua the day before. So there's all kinds of cool things you can say when you really don't want to go where God wants you to go. Too much change at once. You know, that's not a good thing. Yeah. You can't cross this, Jordan, without facing some danger. You can't cross without following directions. And following His directions, first of all, involves some submission. He says, when you see the ark, when you see it move, you move. Matter of fact, in chapters 3 and 4, 16 times the ark 
is mentioned. Now I want to ask you an important question right here. What is the big deal with the ark? I'll give you the quick short answer. It represented the presence of God. It represented the presence of God. That's why Joshua told him, you stay back a thousand yards from it. You don't rush up to this thing. It's not some trinket. It represents the presence of God. And if you really want to get into the significance of it, you have to open it up and look inside of it. But you better be someone that God has qualified to do so or He'll kill you on the spot. And they knew that. But inside the ark, they had three things. They had the commandments that Moses brought down, the very tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain. This would be the second set after he broke the first ones. They also had in the ark the rod of Aaron. And when I tell you they had the rod of Aaron, I'm telling you this was a walking stick. It was like a staff that that you would use as a shepherd to beat away wild animals. It was a stick, a dried almond stick. It was no longer a tree limb. It was no longer part of a living plant. It was dead. It was dry. It was just like trying to get a shovel handle to sprout. But guess what? God can do that. And God made Aaron's rod sprout. And it says that it blossomed and blooms came on it. And then almonds, fresh almonds sprouted on Aaron's rod. God demonstrating His power to them. And then the third thing that was in the ark was some of the manna that He had given them in the wilderness so they would never forget that when you had nothing, I gave you something. When you had no bread to eat, I gave you bread to eat. Now I want to say this and and make sure you get the significance of it. The ark was almost like their Emmanuel. God with us. God is among us. And when they saw the ark move, they knew that God was moving. That was the most sacred artifact that they had because it represented the presence of God. And I think it's so wonderful now that we don't need to worry about finding the ark. I know that there's all kinds of things on the interweb about uh, finding the Ark of the Covenant, and some say it's in Ethiopia, hidden in a church or whatever. I'm telling you, we don't need it because we have Emmanuel. We have God with us. And we have not just manna, but we have the breath, uh, the bread of life. And we have one that can take something as dry as a shovel handle, and he can produce almonds. He can give life where there is no life. Jesus can do that. And as far as the Ten Commandments, uh, he came and kept the covenant for us. So there's no need for us to have an ark but you understand how important it was for them. It represented the presence of God among them. Well, it requires submission. Don't move till it moves. When it moves, move. Don't think about it. Do it. Submission. Secondly, it involves sanctification. In verse 5, he says, Consecrate yourselves. Kadesh is the word here. This is a hippiel imperative in the Hebrew verb form of Kadesh. We've learned before that that word is holy. Well, here's a verb form of it. Holyfy yourselves. 
That's the only way I know to translate it. Holy yourselves. Sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart and, and consecrate yourselves. Now, let me say this. It might be from sin. If you've got sin in your life, he is saying, get it right. Confess it. Uh, get it out of your life. If there's something unclean about you, you need to take care of all of that. But you also had to remember that in this day, when he said consecrate yourself, it might not always be sin. It could have just been something that they normally did every day that was totally innocent. He says, don't do it today. Change your schedule. He might command that they fast from eating. He might command that they do other things that any other time would be perfectly innocent and perfectly normal. But God says, no, on this day, I want you to pull yourself away from everything ordinary so that I can do something extraordinary among you. Deliberately, he interrupted what might have been good and normal functions. But he commanded them. God says, I'm about to do amazing things among you. And he says, you don't want to miss it being involved in things that you could do at other times. I'll just say this. God convicts me in this area sometime. I enjoy life. Had someone tell me the other day that knows me quite well. Said, you enjoy life, don't you? I said, I do. He told me, he said, I don't. Broke my heart. He said, I don't. He said, I know my attitude is sour. He said, I always see the negative. He said, I've watched you for years and I known this person a long time. won't tell you who it is, but he said, you enjoy life, don't you? He said, I wished I did. And I do enjoy life. But I have to remember something. I love hunting. I love fishing. Uh, I, I love working on old straight body Chevrolet trucks, if you don't know what a straight body is anathema to you. No, I, it's just those old Chevys. You might not know what anathema means either, so you're all right. But I can just tell you, I enjoy those things. But I have to remember something. Even though they're good and they're innocent, they take up a lot of time and they take up a lot of money. And if I'm not careful, good wholesome, normal, innocent activities and drains on my life can get between me and where I need to be with God. I have to consecrate myself. We need to stop arguing about, well, that's not a sin. Hey, there's nothing in the world wrong with that. Well, there may not be anything wrong with it. But if it's taking money, that I need to be given to the work of God, and I'm very serious about watching that area. But I can just tell you, it, it may be in your life right now, it might be something that, that career 
Great day, man. It's just uh, wonderful. Oh, you're at the top of the ladder. You got the corner office. You made partner or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know what it might be. It might be all good within itself. And, and it may be a wonderful thing, but if it begins to take you away from time you need to spend with God and resources that He gave you to be a steward over, not an owner, if all of that starts to get tangled, it's time for some pulling away. It's time for some consecration. It's time to get some busyness out of your life. Consecrate ourselves. Last of all, you can't cross without facing danger and following directions. Thirdly, you can't cross without finding determination. There's two reasons we're going to need determination, church. If we're going to go where God wants to take us as a church and as individuals, there's some challenges, first of all. It says in verse 15 that this was during the days of harvest. River had overflowed its banks. It was raging. They'd left Shatim and they traveled 10 miles, and now they've been camping right beside the river. They've been waking up every morning to the roaring mist coming off of the River Jordan. And they've had three days to discuss what a goofy idea it is to think that we can just walk across that river. They've had three days to watch all of that and to listen to all that. And I can tell you, that's not the only problem because if you read the book of Jeremiah in, verse, uh, in chapter 12, verse 5, he talks about the thickets of the Jordan. And you guys that know if you get out in the woods and you hunt or you do whatever, hike or whatever it might be, you know some of the thickest brush you ever find is going to be right on the bank of a river. It, sometimes it's not just getting across the river, it's getting in the river that can be difficult. As a matter of fact, earlier this year, a, a month or so ago, I we were looking for a deer that I had shot, and uh, I hope that doesn't offend you, but they don't like it if you eat them and they're still alive, so you shoot them first. Man, I want to tell you, when we got near the creek, the sawbriars were proud sharper than ever. Man, they, they, they cut me like Josh Edgerton. Buddy, I mean, it, you know, I see him here. so. I, but I'm just telling you, buddy, <laughs> woo, I came home, Loretta said, what in the world happened to you? I was a bloody mess. It was hard to get. We, we tried to find where we thought the deer might have crossed the river. We couldn't even find a place that looked like he could have got across the Blooming Creek. You got a lot of challenges when it comes to this. And then you have the water that's there, and it's just roaring. And then you have this other thing that is going to really require faith because God says, I want the priests to carry the ark, and when they step their feet into the water, then I will stop the water. Oh. I can just see a committee meeting right now saying, well, you know, right now it's be one of the most foolish things we can do. God is, you know, we need to wait till we can see our way clear. I bet they'd even say this, we need to pray about this. I bet there were people in those three days they were camped there said, man, we need to pray about this. 
You know, that's a cool thing to say when you're making up excuses to not go where you're afraid to go because God's wanting you to go somewhere that's scaring you to death. It's easy to just say, well, we need to pray about it. We need to think about this. We need to use common sense. And I agree with all of that, but I also tell you this, when God says go, it's time to go. He says, when the priest's feet step in the water, I'll take care of it. <laughs> Boy, most of the time I like for God to go ahead and take care of it. And then I cross. And then I feel all good about myself that I'm living by faith and following the Lord. <laughs> Not easy sometimes. And then last of all, there will be confrontations. In verse 10, he gives us a list of people that's waiting on the other side to kill you. Your Gashites, Hittites, Moabites, Hivites, Jebusites, the people of Jericho is going to get the first swing at you. Then Ai, oh, you should defeat them easily. They're a small little town. Oh, no, they beat the tar out of them because they had sin in the camp. I can tell you, there's some confrontations that come our way. And if you follow God and you try to do and be what God would have you be, especially if you break away from those who would never think of going where you're going, I got news for you, friend. The confrontations. There are people that are going to think you're crazy. They'll discourage you. There are others that are just outright rambunctious. And I, I can just tell you, they're enemies that await us. And if we try to be cornerstone, what God wants us to be in 2023, I can tell you right now, the enemy is not dead. We'll roust him out of his sleep if we start talking about being fully dedicated and committed to God. If we start talking about consecrating ourselves and following God no matter what he leads us to do. If we stop being so cautious and get a little bit reckless in some of our ministries and do some things we've never done before, I can tell you now, there's a lot of discouragement and hatred. A lot of folks out there that don't look for them to appreciate it. I saw this week where a lady in Europe, it's a new law that the EU has passed that you can't protest at abortion clinics. So she was there and she was praying not out loud. But somebody saw her lips moving. Couldn't hear a word. They called the police. And they arrested her. And took her to jail. It's just crazy. Oh, it's just one thing I know. You don't... You, you can't even, you, man, preachers are hurting for illustrations nowadays. What are you going to say that people are going to go, wow, that's crazy. I've never heard of that. My goodness. This world has lost its blooming mind. 
most expensive Christmas tree in the world this Christmas stood in a hotel lobby in a Muslim country. Boy, that took me off guard. But it reminded me of something. That tree cost $11.4 million. I, 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 I got that math right. I know it's hard to believe. They put diamonds on it and gold. It's in the United Arab Emirates. It's in one of their cities. It's a Christmas tree. I didn't know you could have Christmas trees in Muslim countries, but I did some research, and I found out, yeah, you can. Christmas trees mean nothing. As a matter of fact, I discovered that there's a whole lot of Christianity you can uh, bark about in those countries. As long as you never say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you can pretty well get away with anything. And I thought about Christmas trees and how meaningless and worthless and empty they must be. And I'm not condemning our Christmas tree. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we as Christians, there's, there's versions, let's put it this way, of Christianity that's full of Christian symbols and Christian talk and and Christian words, and it's so empty because what we've done, and you see it everywhere. I'm telling you, it's all around us. Jesus Christ is no longer seen as the Son of God or as the Savior of the world. The announcement that the angel made that for unto you this day is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If you start saying that, then they will put you head first in a shredder that can take truck tires and plastic barrels and turn them into mulch. I mean, I know that for a fact. Uday and Kusei, Saddam's sons, was one of their favorite things to do with people that cross the line. I want to tell you something. We've got some of that innocuous, toothless, meaningless Christianity all around us. And it doesn't bother them. That baby in that manger, it never bothers the Muslims. It's that Savior on the cross. And it's not just there. I can tell you right here in America, as long as you don't insist that Jesus is the way, and the truth, and the life. And those words came from Jesus Christ Himself. As long as you are willing to be open-minded about their other ways, and, and maybe He wasn't really God or rose from the dead, but He was a great teacher or He's a good example for us to follow. As long as you keep it at that toothless level that violates no one's conscience. You can get away with about anything in America. I can tell you, there are enemies that await us, friend, if we follow God. But I don't think we have a choice. Remember when Jesus asked His disciples, He said, these others are leaving, do you want to leave too? 
Remember they told him, says, How, where can we go? You have the words of life. I can tell you I have nowhere to go but to follow Jesus until the day they shred me. Until the day that I'm mocked or hated or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. I can just tell you now, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm, I'm not trying to be a martyr or any of that. But I want to cross the Jordans in my life get some junk out of my life, put some things behind me that I don't need in my life, and I want to follow God where he wants me to go. And that's not going to be easy. But there's no other way to live. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you right now, and I pray, God, that maybe you've encouraged someone here today they, they, they know exactly what their Jordan is. They know what stands between them and you, between them and being what they need to be for you. Lord, I pray you'd speak to their heart. I pray, God, that you would give all of us the courage to face our Jordans and to be brave enough to follow you, God, wherever you lead us, Lord. I ask you, God, to help us now. Help us as a church, Lord. God, as we get busy again soon in the next couple of weeks, Lord, and, and things start to run full tilt, I pray, God, that we would keep our focus upon you, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just help us now to be the church that you've called us to be. And if it means being reckless, if it means doing things that that may be out of the norm, things with which we are not comfortable. God, I pray that if we know that you are leading us, God, that we would follow you even if it cost us our lives. We give ourselves to you for this year, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.